We're going to be continuing in the sermon series Pastor Bruce has for us, so we'll turn to Philippians, reading the passage, uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Uh, If you are in need of a pew Bible, you can grab one in front of you, and you can find this passage on page 1165. So follow along as I read about the faithful servant who follows. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and we offer our worship to you and also give thanks for your son who has given us the opportunity to be in relationship with you, God. I pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear and open hearts as Bruce Pastor Bruce gives us the message today. I pray and thank you once again for your son. In your name, amen. Well, I think it's safe to say that uh, we, that is America, has a love affair with the genre of movies, superhero movies in particular. In fact, just a few years ago, in 2017, seven of the 11 highest-grossing films were about superheroes based on characters first introduced in comic books. And Andrew Berryhill writes, This phenomenon comes as no surprise to me, as superhero stories were a beloved part of my childhood. On lazy weekends, I would eagerly turn on the family television to watch the Batman, Spider-Man, and Justice League cartoons of the 90s. Those cherished memories are one of the reasons why I love super movies today. Perhaps you can identify. So why are people everywhere embracing these superhero stories so much? Why why are we captivated by them? One explanation is that superheroes are easy to identify with. One, as online magazine The Artifice explains... Though enhanced by superpowers or abilities, the superhero, as portrayed in today's films, displays an astonishing level of humanity. Audience watch superhero characters cope with the human experience through these films, an experience in which audience members can identify. The artifice goes on to say that superheroes display virtue in the face of the worst humanity has to offer. And more than anything, what justifies the admiration of superheroes is the way they handle the entire scope of life as a human and still end up making the altruistic choices for which they are known. Andrew Berryhill adds this insight. He says people can look to superheroes as beacons of selflessness in an age perceived as corrupt and full of negativity. And so heroic stories, we are mesmerized by them. But they are not unique to the 21st century American culture. In fact, if you look at ancient literature, especially Greek and Roman literature, you will find all sorts of stories about heroes. 
And our modern superheroes are simply continuing that tradition. As Andrew Barry Hill writes, in a fallen world full of evil and misfortune, people cling to superheroes as symbols of virtue that conquer both villains and their own weaknesses, giving a glimmer of hope in a frequently dark world. So let me ask you, who are your superheroes? Who are the people you look up to that you want to be like? And in this section of Philippians, Paul presents us with a portrait of two heroes. Except they're not superheroes of the Justice League. They are unsung heroes of the Christian faith. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30 here is perhaps the most neglected and overlooked passage in all the book of Philippians. In fact, most of us have probably skipped right over these verses thinking they're somewhat boring, perhaps even irrelevant to our lives today. And I doubt anybody's favorite verse, life verse, is found in these particular verses right here. But Paul devotes 10% of this letter to writing about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Because these two men embody exactly what Paul's been writing about in this letter thus far. These two role models, these two unsung heroes, are actually the living letter to the Philippians. And so regardless of age... We all need role models to look up to. In fact, notice this, our need for role models. We all need faithful role models to watch and imitate as we strive to follow Jesus Christ in our own lives. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, you may even be thinking you're beyond the point of needing role models to look up to. But spiritually speaking... We are all still, quote, growing up in the Christian faith. In fact, you jump over to the book of Ephesians, and there in chapter 4, Paul implies that none of us are fully, quote, grown up yet. And that's why, according to verses 12 and 13, Jesus gives the church pastors and teachers, why? To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so, if the standard of maturity is Jesus Christ himself, then all of us have a long way to go. Right? I think we would all agree with that. Not even Timothy and Epaphroditus are fully, quote, grown up. And Paul even will admit this about himself in chapter 3 here in Philippians. But watching... These two role models in particular shows us what growing up looks like in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. You see, Paul knows that if we're going to live like Jesus, then we need real people, real-life heroes who are living the letter, who can serve as flesh-and-blood role models for us to watch and to imitate That's why Paul says later on in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example 
you have in us. And so who's the us that Paul's referring to? Well, we know for sure it's the example of Paul. He says, join in imitating me. And at the very minimum, we know that it's also Timothy and Epaphroditus because they were there with Paul when he's writing this letter. And so two role models we have. This is the whole purpose of Paul sharing this somewhat unique passage of Scripture for us here. Often called a a travel itinerary or a travel log. And he does so right in the middle of the book here, which is unusual in and of itself because normally these kind of travel schedules and logs are shared at the end of Paul's letters, not in the middle or even the beginning. And so here's the importance of this. This is why it sits right here in the middle of the book of Philippians. Notice it in your notes. Paul is moving from instructions in imperatives to real-life illustrations. In their illustrations of what it looks like to live worthy of the gospel in Christ-like humility. You see, he's, he's already given us instructions about this. For two whole chapters, he's been instructing us about living life worthy of the gospel. In doing so in Christ-like imper- in, in humility. He's given us instructions about it and imperatives about it, commands. And now he gives us illustrations. And so the reason for including this travelogue is that it fits perfectly within the flow of the whole letter. Yes, Paul wanted to thank the church at Philippi and let them know about his plans concerning Timothy and Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, who delivered a gift to Paul, he's now being sent back to Philippi sooner rather than later. And Timothy was being sent later rather than sooner. But more importantly, Paul wanted to provide us with something. He wanted to provide us with two real-life illustrations of what he's been writing about in the previous two chapters. And these unsung heroes, they model Christ-like humility as they live worthy of the gospel in a dark and dying world. Timothy and Epaphroditus, let me tell you, they are humble servants of the Lord who provide for us a a shining example of doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counting others more significant than themselves. Remember what we learned a few uh, Sundays ago. We learned that joy comes when you get things in the right order. That is the anachronism joy. J being Jesus, O, others, and the why, you, and these two men love Jesus and love others more than they love themselves. And, and while we should not elevate them to the level of Christ, listen, we should see them. In fact, we should watch them. That's what Paul wants us to do is to look at their lives. And we should see them as examples who are worth following or worth imitating. Now, it's true. You won't find any Justice League superheroes in this passage of Scripture. Not going to see any dazzling special effects in this section of Scripture. But what we do find are two faithful servants who illustrate what it looks like to live worthy of the gospel in Christ-like humility. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at Timothy, the first faithful servant Paul talks about in verses 19 through 24. In Timothy is an example of a selfless servant. He's an example of a selfless servant. Now, 
Before we turn our attention to Timothy, though, I want you to first see how Paul frames his travel plans. In verse 19, Paul tells the church that he's not sending Timothy right away. Although he hopes to send Timothy soon so that he himself may be cheered by news of the Philippian church. And then Paul repeats this hope of his in verses 23 and 24. Look at it, where he says, I hope, therefore, to send him, that is Timothy, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, Paul's use of the word hope here is more than just a casual wish. It's a confident expectation. And although Paul is not certain about the outcome of his trial... He's not certain about when he will be able to send Timothy. He recognizes something. In these words, he recognizes that his life and his plans are subject to God's sovereign will. This is indicated by the phrase that he uses. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows that Jesus is Lord over all things. And he is the one who controls All our hopes and plans in life. And so what Paul hopes and what he plans are always in the Lord Jesus. Paul doesn't make decisions simply based on common sense or or what he himself thinks is best. He submits everything to the Lord. He submits it to the Lord's will. He means what he says in verse 23. I trust in the Lord, he says. We know that Christians are supposed to attach this caveat, Lord willing, to our hopes and plans. We know that Christians are to do that. After all, biblical wisdom teaches in Proverbs 16, 9, that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so it's one thing to say that with the right words, or say the right words, but it's another to have our hearts molded with the reality behind those words. So let me ask, just a simple general question here. How do you approach your hopes in life? Most of us have some hopes, some dreams. How do you approach your plans in life? Most of us make plans. Your hopes and plans, dreams for the future. And if you're growing in Christ, Paul shows us here that we will formulate our hopes and our plans With humility. Always aware that Jesus has both the right. Why? Because he's Lord over all. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's been exalted. And he also has the wisdom to overrule our choices. And even to redirect our plans and our paths in life. But bracketed between Paul's hope and his trust in the Lord... Paul now shares why he wants to send Timothy to the church at Philippi. Look again what he says. He writes in verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now, Timothy, most of you have heard of him, but who is he exactly? Well, Timothy was a young man whom Paul met 
most likely on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts 16. And Timothy later on became a pastor. In fact, Paul wrote the letters of First and Second Timothy to Timothy about pastoring the church at Ephesus. And so Timothy was also Paul's most trusted assistant. In fact, Timothy was Paul's, we might call him his troubleshooter, his problem solver in various churches that were planted during Paul's missionary journeys. And Timothy, later on, is actually going to be one of the few who will stick by Paul during his time in a Roman prison and right before his eventual death ordered at the hands of Nero. So it's no surprise then to read what we read here, that Paul hopes to send Timothy soon back to the church at Philippi. Why? Because he's an example of a selfless servant. Now, three qualities about him just pop right out of the pages of Scripture here. For us to see, for us to watch, and to imitate, to follow. In the first of which, number one, Timothy was like-minded. He was like-minded. That is caring about the spiritual welfare of others in seeking the interest of Christ. Look what Paul says again in verse 20 of Timothy. He says, I have no one like him. In fact, some translations put it this way. I have no one like-minded. I have no one like Timothy. I have no one like-minded like Timothy is. And of course, Paul knows other believers in Rome. There's a community of believers already there in Rome. And he knows some of those believers. But no one is quite like Timothy in attitude, in character, in closeness to the apostle. Literally, Paul says, I have no one equal in soul. That's what this phrase, when he says, I have no one like-minded or no one like Timothy, it actually means no one equal in soul. In other words, as Paul surveys the church in Rome, he could not find anyone whom he deemed of, of like soul or like mind except Timothy. In other words, there's no one Paul can trust for this particular mission that he has like he can trust Timothy for. Paul had spent years discipling Timothy. And the end result of discipleship is reproduction. As John MacArthur writes, over the course of time, Timothy came to think like Paul, relate to believers and unbelievers like Paul, evaluate ideas and situations and trends and concerns like Paul, trust the Lord for direction like Paul, and even pray like Paul. And so Paul is essentially saying here that he and Timothy, they are equals in their passion and concern for the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says of Timothy in verses 20 and 21 here, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, Timothy is truly concerned about the spiritual well-being of others and the health of the church. And in, in context, it's the health of the Philippian church. Yet in contrast to Timothy, Paul says that others in Rome seek whose interest? They seek their own interest, not the interest of Christ. And ironically, the very self-centeredness that Paul had warned the Philippians about in verses 2 
Or chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That whole mindset, that attitude was a part of everyday life in the city of Rome. Now, in chapter 1, Paul mentioned that some, we already saw this too, he said that there were some in Rome who served out of envy. They preached Christ out of envy. They preached Christ out of rivalry. But Timothy, Paul says, he serves out of a love for Jesus Christ and his church. And so Paul seems to be comparing Timothy to these glory seekers in Rome who really don't care about the flock. All they care about is their own following and making a name for themselves, but not Timothy. He is genuinely concerned for the spiritual welfare of these Philippian believers. This is what sets Timothy apart. The ministry isn't all about him. In an article on the rapid development and discoveries in the neuroscience world, one scientist wrote, if you're like most people, you have a hands-down favorite topic for most conversations. What do you think it is? Yourself. On average, people spend 60% of their conversations talking about themselves. And this figure jumps to 80% when you include social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is why we so desperately need to work out what God works in us. We need the Spirit of God to transform our self-centered hearts and to renew our minds to be others-focused. Now, glance again at verses 20 and 21. And do you notice a shift here in these two verses? Look at verse 20. Paul says that Timothy is concerned for your welfare. That is the Philippian believers, their welfare. But in verse 21, he says that Timothy seeks the interest of whom? The interest of Jesus Christ. Which means that serving Christ involves serving others in the church. Serving Christ's church flows from our love for others and for Jesus' glory, not our own selfish interests. And so here's the deal. As Christians, we will live out either Philippians 1.21 or we will live out Philippians 2.21. And the question becomes, which verse are you living out? Which verse marks your life? Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21. Those who live out Philippians 1.21 serve for the adoration of Christ. But those who live out Philippians 2.21 serve for the promotion of self. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is what? Christ and to die is gain. And so those who live out this verse here, Philippians 1.21, they serve for the adoration of Christ. They serve out of a concern for others. But those who live out Philippians 2.21, remember what that says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. They serve for the promotion of self. They serve to make a name for themselves. Like Timothy, let us seek the interests of Christ, serving the body of Christ, with genuine concern. And so what an example here of selfless 
servanthood. Timothy was like-minded with Paul. He cared about the spiritual welfare of others, and he sought the interests of Christ. That's the first reason why Paul hoped to send him. But the second reason Paul wanted to send Timothy is, number two, Timothy was tested. He was tested, proving his character and worth through endurance of affliction. Paul says in verse 22, he says, But you know Timothy's proven worth. In other words, he's speaking to the church of Philippi, these believers there, and he says to them, listen, you know about Timothy already. You know his proven worth. Which means Timothy was more than likely with Paul when this church was planted. Timothy was more than likely there when Lydia, this businesswoman, this seller of purple cloth, believed the gospel and received Jesus as her Savior and Lord. Timothy had witnessed the baptism of her and her entire household. And since that time, Timothy demonstrated his worthiness as a servant of Christ for more than 10 years, serving as Paul's protege and fellow worker. Now, this phrase, proven worth, it is an awesome phrase, very interesting phrase. In fact, it refers to a testing of one's character. A testing of one's character. In fact, the Greek word there was used of assessing ore to see if it's mixed with alloys or if it's pure metal. And so it's kind of like gold refined in the fire that's been tested and purified and found to be proven, pure. In the same way, Timothy has been tested through the endurance of affliction. And Timothy has passed the test. And by the way, these don't have to be, quote, big tests. Of endurance. In fact, we more than likely, we most often, we prove ourselves not in the big tests, but rather in the small stuff, in the nitty gritty of everyday life. That's what Timothy did. Timothy actually lived up to his name, which means he honors God. And although Timothy, we know that he struggled with fear and timidity. He struggled with insecurity. Paul had to write to him about these things. Listen, as a young man, he struggled with those, and yet he did not cave under the pressure. Instead, he proved himself over time. And so Paul hoped to send Timothy on this round trip from Rome to Philippi, and then from Philippi back to Rome again. Listen, that would be a grueling trip, an exhausting trip. In fact, in today's world of speedy transcontinental air travel, we might not even realize the cost of time and comfort and safety that Timothy's round trip would entail. The most difficult route would be traveled over land some 350 miles. Timothy would then have to get on a ship and there go about 90 miles. And then trek across another 360 miles across Macedonia to Philippi. And so in order to bring news from Paul to Philippi and from Philippi back to Paul, Timothy would invest several months of his life to make this difficult and dangerous trip over land and sea. And it's going to take someone who is tested and proven to persevere on this trip. 
No wonder Paul hopes to send Timothy. Now, it's important to recognize that Timothy didn't become an unsung hero overnight. Listen, proven worth takes time and lots of it. Too many people today in our culture, they want instant spirituality. They want overnight maturity. But God doesn't work that way. Listen, growing Christ-like character in our lives, it takes time and effort and discipline. It takes working out our salvation over time and often through the endurance or perseverance in affliction. Here's a simple equation to help you understand this a little bit better. Think of it this way. T plus D equals G. Time plus discipline equals growth. Now that equation works in every area of life, whether it's weightlifting, playing the piano, or learning to speak another language. Nothing worthwhile can be conquered in one night. Here's what we learn from Timothy here. You can't blitz your way to spiritual growth and Christ-like character. doesn't happen. You've got to do what Timothy did. You've got to put yourself under a faithful, godly Christian and then to pay the price over time. Timothy had been through the fire of testing and trial, advancing the gospel in the midst of hardship alongside Paul. He was tested. Therefore, Paul could count on him to persevere in serving Christ and his church. And so Timothy was like-minded, caring about the spiritual welfare of others and seeking the interest of Christ. And Timothy was tested, proving his character and worth over time through endurance of affliction. There's one more reason Paul wanted to send Timothy, though. Timothy was devoted. He was devoted, willing to serve faithfully in the gospel. And his devotion is remarkable. Notice how Paul describes his devotion in verse 22. Look at it again. He says, How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Now, in a healthy father-son relationship, a son is eager to please his father to follow his directions, to earn his confidence, and to even grow to resemble his father. A father can trust his son with challenging assignments. In fact, others might even begin to recognize that the son reflects the father's character and heart. And so by invoking this father-son analogy, Paul is telling the Philippians somewhat like this. Timothy, heart, his heart beats as my heart beats. To see Timothy, you all grow strong in Jesus, holding fast and holding forth the gospel to a dark and dying world. When you see Timothy, you can be sure that he will care for your spiritual welfare just as if I was there myself. But this is more than just an analogy. Paul loves Timothy. In fact, he loves him as a true Son in the faith, as Paul describes it, as he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. That's what he calls him, my true son in the faith. And so by natural birth, Timothy, we know, was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. 
We know that from Acts 16, verse 1. And yet Paul consistently regarded Timothy as his own adopted son and trusted servant of the Lord. But what makes Paul and Timothy like father and son is the gospel of Jesus Christ. On Paul's first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas came to Lystra, Timothy's hometown, and preached the good news of God's grace. And on Paul's second missionary journey, the Spirit of God brought Paul and Timothy together from different backgrounds to serve in the gospel. Paul emphasizes this particular aspect of Timothy's role when he says he has served with me in what? Not in making tents. That was Paul's occupation. He served with me in the gospel. Timothy doesn't actually serve Paul as ancient fathers would expect their sons to do. Rather, Timothy serves with Paul. That's the emphasis. And I'm sure Timothy did serve Paul in many ways. But the emphasis that Paul is highlighting is that Timothy serves alongside me. And this word serve, it refers to the service of slaves. In fact, it's an echo taking us back to the opening of this letter here in which Paul describes himself and Timothy as what? Chapter 1, verse 1. As servants of Jesus Christ or as slaves, bondservants of Jesus Christ. It's also an echo, when Paul uses this language, of Paul's portrait of Jesus Christ who what? Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, which we read about in chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. And so in Timothy's coming to the church of Philippi, the Philippians could see Paul's heart for them. They could see Paul's concern for them. But better yet, in Timothy, they can see the humility of Christ as he serves them. Wow! And what an example of a selfless servant to imitate in our own lives. No wonder Paul hoped to send Timothy to the church at Philippi. Timothy was like-minded, caring about the spiritual welfare of others and seeking the interests of Christ. Timothy was tested, proving his character and worth through endurance of affliction. He was devoted, willing to serve faithfully in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul hoped in the Lord to send Timothy. Now, as we come to a conclusion here, here's a good question. Would Paul have hoped to send you? Just imagine with me for a moment that you were in Rome during the time of Paul's imprisonment. And Paul needed someone that he could count on to send back to Philippi. Could Paul have said the same thing about you? Could Paul have sent you like he hoped to send Timothy because of your faithfulness to the Lord as a selfless servant? Now, there are several lessons that we could take away from Timothy's example here. In fact, I hope you've connected the dots along the way. But let me leave you with one overarching life lesson from Timothy. In case you haven't been able to connect any dots at all. Let me connect two dots for you. A primary lesson. Here it is. 
choose to live for Christ, not self. That is the big overarching lesson that we take away from this. Choose to live for Christ, not self. In other words, make Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 your life verse. Not Philippians 2, 21. Unfortunately, there are too many Christians today in our churches, and even outside of our churches, where Philippians 2.21 marks their life instead of Philippians 1.21. Philippians 1.21 is the essence of Timothy's life, just as it was Paul's life. He's an example of a selfless servant of the Lord. But let's be honest here. The reason Timothy's life is so overlooked is because we're drawn to the dramatic, aren't we? You look at Timothy's life, and he's always playing second fiddle to Paul. Who wants to do that? We're, we're captivated by superheroes, not unsung heroes, like Timothy. And so we tend to downplay faithful Christian service, and especially in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. But that's where God meets us. In fact, that's where God uses us most, is in faithful Christian service in the nitty-gritty of life. In fact, let me, let me use an illustration by Fred Craddock. He once said, to give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and he has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. And we go through life putting out 25 cents there, 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kid's troubles instead of saying get lost. Go to a ministry team meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually, giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love. 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. For some here, perhaps God's plan for your life might mean sacrificing your life as a martyr for Christ. But for most of us, I'm confident to say that faithful Christian living, it involves pouring our lives out for Christ in doing so little by little over the long haul. Like Timothy, it involves giving out quarters here and there Every day in acts of service to others. But that will only happen as we choose each day to live for Christ and not self. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see the eternal value of servants like Timothy. Unsung heroes like him. Give us hearts that desire to follow his example of selfless servanthood. Give us the grace to be servants who live for Christ and not self.
And Lord, give us the grace to persevere through the fires of affliction and testing. Help us not to give up. Help us not to quit. Lord, thank you for those in our church here at LifeBridge who serve faithfully in the gospel. We have many of them, Lord, and we give thanks to you for their selfless servanthood. We know you see their service and that it is not in vain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.